Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Hello, welcome to the Gridiron College Football Show. I'm Simon Clancy, along with the editor of the magazine, Matthew Sherry. Matt, how are you? I'm, I'm good, man. We've, I mean, we've just discussed our various medical ailments privately, but I don't think we no need to, to hear. Yeah. tell the listeners about them. But yeah, I'm fine. Good, good, good. Lots to get to this week. Big weekend of college football action. So we will preview uh, a lot of the big games. There is a new law that's going to have a fairly substantial effect on what happens in college sports moving forward, certainly in the state of California, but suspect it will grow wider, uh, which sounds dull, but we promise it won't be. It will make it as interesting and as informative as possible. But first, Matt, I just want to start by looking back to last week and the great escape that happened uh, with Clemson down in uh, in Chapel Hill. They they just managed to overcome unranked North Carolina. Matt Brown has just done an amazing job since his return, not only on the field, but you know recruiting. He was always a, a monster recruiter at Texas bringing in great kids into that program, that Tar Heel program. And they almost, almost beat the number one team in the nation. The second year running, really, that Clemson has had this this major hiccup, obviously, last year against Syracuse when, when Trevor Lawrence was knocked out of the game with a head injury. But Lawrence played in this game, didn't play particularly well, and it came down to a two-point conversion at the end. North Carolina went for it uh, to, try and, to try and win the game, really, in, in regulation rather than go to overtime. Um, and uh, uh, for me, it was the right call, the wrong play call, the right yeah, absolutely. By Mac Brown, but but really to try and um to try and run a stretch playing a sort of quarterback option stretch play against that speed of Clemson's defense and Xavier Thomas, the the brilliant young defensive end, or who should be a brilliant young defensive end, uh, was able to track down uh, North Carolina's quarterback from behind and and, and stop them going in. But uh, a, a wake up call for Clemson, or is this Clemson team not what we thought it might be? Where where do you place it? Because Trevor Lawrence really has not played close to the level that he played last year. He's, he's going through a, a fairly major sophomore slump, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Lawrence is, is close to being the biggest disappointment in college football this year, and it, it pains me to say that because any listener to this show knows how invested we are in him, having met him and interviewed him when he was in high school and, and really followed his progress last season. Um, I really don't know where to land on, on, on my view with Clemson because... I've, I went back this week and had a look at last year and there were so many similar performances to this at the beginning and middle of the season and then they just caught fire at the end of the year and seemed to turn it on. Now, is that by design? Who knows? I mean, I think if any team can design it that way, Clemson can because of how weak the the conference that they're, they're, that they are in is. So, I'm really not sure. Um, I think that the Lawrence situation is 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 easily the most troubling aspect of it. But I mean, every season that they do this, I can remember them losing on the road at Syracuse on a on a Friday night game a couple of years ago. They lost to Pitt, I think, the first year they won the national did, championship. Yeah. So they they kind of do this every year. So it would be foolish to just assume that maybe they aren't as good as we think they are. But 
I, I, I would lean towards them them turning it on again at the end of the season. I, I think that's the way it'll go. I think Lawrence will, will ride the ship. But my big concern with Lawrence, and I, I remember saying this to you in week two, is I still don't think he has great touch. And it, it, it's one of those things where when you watch the, the arm talent, you kind of think that's going to develop in time. And you, you do, it's not like watching Josh Allen, you know, who has no touch whatsoever. But Lawrence, for the, for the level of talent that he is, still for me, he throws the ball too hard. He, and... And and then the turnovers are the thing that we didn't see last season as well that would that would really concern me. But I I just think that the road is so easy for Clemson, and I wonder if that hurts them in the end. I wouldn't be surprised if this was the year they get to the playoff and then lose in the semi final simply because the road is so easy to get there that once you play a real team, you know you're not equipped to do because you haven't done it enough in the season. Did you just refer to them as the semi-finals? Yeah, it's the worst thing I've ever done. I was hoping you wouldn't notice. I don't know. I don't know how or why I've done it. It's the first uh, thing that one, the very but, first. Do, do you think that the, the Clemson? You know, we we hear this we hear this a lot, and you certainly hear this around a draft narrative when you look at a quarterback like Tua Tagovailoa, for example. You hear the word cupcake schedule. Do you think that Clemson are because ultimately these teams, Ohio State, Oklahoma, not so much Ohio State maybe because of the, you know they, they they play tougher games and and frankly look Alabama play LSU and Auburn before they get to the to the playoff but there is a run of games in the early part of the season where you are playing what amounts to significantly weaker teams than you know than you would do at the back end of a season. Do you think that just sometimes, especially if you're an 18, 19, 20 year old kid that you think, oh, it's only North Carolina, they're yeah. unranked, or it's only the University of Charlotte, or it's only Alabama, Birmingham, or it's only who are, well, I don't need to give full, you know, you give full effort, but realistically, it's not the same effort that you're giving, it's not the same full effort that you're giving if you're playing LSU, or you're playing Michigan, or you're playing Penn State, or whatever. Do you think that plays into it a little bit? Yeah, I do. I mean, and, and how could it not? Um, I think I think the other element with Clemson is, you know, They've got the talent now where really they should go on a little bit of an Alabama-esque run in terms of winning national championships. They've been in the playoff, I think, every year, but they've won it twice. And the question with Dabo Swinney's programme is, can he do what Nick Saban's done? Can he can he build winners who are able to repeat? Because that's tough as well. You know, it's hard to come down from the mountain and then get back up it. So I think both of those things are at play. Um how would you not? How could complacency not set in? Especially when, you know, we look back at how that national championship was won with Justin Ross and Trevor Lawrence, you know, two true freshmen on offence really really getting the job done. So, yeah, how could it not? And the, the only thing I would say on this game is I've always considered the Mac Brown era at Texas to be about recruiting, but he's really shown at the moment that it... it it wasn't. It, he is a really good head coach. You know, he hired a great staff, but he's had a really nice start of the season. It would have been so much fun if they if they got the win. You and see. Do you think then, because there's been quite a lot of talk, Clemson obviously fell from number one to number two. But do you think even falling to two is fair? Because I, I think defensively, you know, you lose all that talent of Cleland Ferrell and Christian Wilkins and Albert Huggins and and all those guys, Trayvon Mullen. You know, it's a young defense. It's a very, especially in that front seven. Do you think that on a neutral field right now, Clemson are better than Alabama? Yes or no? Uh, no. Georgia? Yes. LSU? No. Oklahoma? Yes. Ohio State? No, definitely not. I think Ohio State should be ranked number one at the moment. Okay. 
So we're, we're essentially looking at the fourth slash fifth ranked team and a team that might not even make the playoff. But they will make the playoff, won't they, just because of the, the, the fact that they will end up being unbeaten. That, that, that's, that's the frustration for me, is, is at what point do you start really like drilling in on these schedules and not just and not let's just say, let's say let's say that let's say Alabama lose 51-50 to LSU but they blow out Auburn and then they win the SEC championship game so they have one loss Alabama or no loss Clemson and Ohio State go unbeaten Oklahoma go unbeaten do, do you see what I'm saying that, yeah absolutely uh, at some point, and, and let's say, you know, let's say LSU, the, the only loss they have is a 35-34 loss in the SEC Championship game, having, you know, an Alabama avenged the 51-50 loss. Surely LSU, Alabama, Ohio State and Oklahoma are your top four teams. Yeah, I mean, they should be, but I don't, the outside I, I, in. I don't think they would be. I would think they would just favour whoever wins the SEC title game in that eventuality. I mean, and they shouldn't do. Like, the question for me that they should ask, and they should ask it now when they're putting the rankings together. Now, it's not the playoff committee putting the rankings together at the moment, in fairness. But yep. look at a schedule. Would LSU um, or whoever else be unbeaten playing that schedule and the answer is yes I mean Auburn would be unbeaten playing LSU uh, Clemson schedule because the only team they've beat is is Texas A&M who they've beaten as well so so yeah I mean I, I think I think it is an issue um, I don't think there's I, it's a, it's going to be fascinating at the end of the year like if we get a year like last year like just say what you've just said happens and you have two unbeaten teams or even a one loss Ohio State team you know, if Ohio State lose one game in the Big Ten and Clemson are unbeaten, I still think that's an argument because they they are playing tough competition every week. I mean, Michigan State, who they play this week, are one of the are one of the kind of poorer big teams on the Ohio State schedule. But I would still say they're every bit as good as Texas A and M, which is literally at home going to be Clemson's only big win by the time we get into the into the the decision. Do you think that Clemson need a of alleviating the pressure from Trevor Lawrence. So Jeff Scott, the offensive coordinator, because Travis Etienne hasn't been the same Travis Etienne that, that pushed for the Heisman Trophy last year. Has he? And look, the offensive line has struggled. There's been some issues on the, you know, in terms of A, in protection, but B, opening running lanes. But rebuilding, in inverted commas, the focal point of the offense around Etienne and allowing Lawrence just to get his feet under him would seem like the best move forward for Jeff Scott. Yeah, absolutely, and I can understand why they got excited by what happened at the end of last season. Who wouldn't? You know, you 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 look at that performance against Bammer and think, right, next year it's time to open it up. The, the big concern for me about Lawrence, it, forgetting about his career at Clemson, is I said this again in week two. I really worry how good this collection of talent is for his own career, simply because. You see it all the time that if there's a problem, he can just throw it up to T. Higgins or Justin Ross. And and again, I, I struggle to think that in the NFL, he is going to be in a situation where he has two wide receivers that good. Because I think both of those guys will be, you know, first to second round picks in the NFL. And how many teams have two of those guys on their, on their roster? I, I am a little bit worried about Lawrence, ultimately. I mean, if you compare him to where Tua was this time last year it's not even it's not even a contest is it I mean Tua is Tua last year was night and day ahead of him and and I think the exciting part for you as a Miami fan if you get Tua is you can see the development in him 
as as like you could see the development last year from albeit a very small sample size in the national championship game then this year we've seen huge strides and again Alabama themselves haven't played a great schedule yet but you know Alabama have done what you expect them to do in the face of that schedule which is blow teams out yeah, what he's done is is significant in terms of just yeah. You, know, you watch the footwork. You watch the game against Ole Miss last week, and you know there was a play in the in the second quarter where he got blitzed off the off the the strong side, and he sidestepped the the blitzing cornerback, sort of escaped the rush and threw and threw over two guys and in front of another to Jerry Judy about twenty two yards down the field. You just don't see plays like that in college football. You know his footwork. Um, his timing, his delivery is just so much. He, he, he reminds me of, of Russell Wilson Russell when he's Wilson. scrambling. Yeah. But but then I would say, you know, I, he also reminds me of, I mean, I hate to say he's a combination of Russell Wilson and Tom Brady, but in college, I you very rarely see a guy who hits people in stride quite like Tua does. And, and you know, that's what makes Brady the all-time quarterback that he is because he doesn't have the physical gifts mm. of other quarterbacks, but he's so good at hitting that exact mark in stride. And I, and I see a lot of that in Tua as well. Yeah, I think he's a combination of Wilson and Steve Young for, for, for the older listeners who remember Young when he took over from, from Joe Montana. Anyway, let's move on. Clemson uh, idle this week, no game. Florida State next weekend. Um, I mentioned at the top of the program or the top of the, the, the pod that we, um, we'd, we'd briefly touch on uh, this new rule change. It is significant, so don't go and, uh, and turn off and make a cup of coffee here. But there's a new law that's just come in uh, in the last couple of days called SB 206, essentially. Senate Bill 206, which is going to change fairly significant, significantly the face of NCAA NCAA athletics because what it means is that it will allow athletes to profit ultimately from the use of their name their image their likeness starting in 2023 so so really uh, and simply what it means is that college athletes starting off in the state of California only so only in California will be allowed to supplement what schools offer on on their scholarship so you know tuition room board uh, and a, you know the, the stipend that they get for for kind of cost of attendance which is mandatory but now they can enter into endorsement contracts with you know somebody as big as I don't know Under Armour or Nike or Adidas and as small as you know Matt Sherry's Chevrolet dealership in in you know whichever town in California it is and they could be paid to host camps to teach their their sport they can make money from signing autographs uh, and they'll also be allowed to sign with an agent or hire a, a legal representative to, to to look after them which is obviously the NCAA's current amateur rules prohibits that Matt this is a a fairly significant sea change uh, and it's a fairly significant sea change for two reasons one because finally college athletes are going to be at, you know because you look at a, a, an Alabama stadium that's or let's take the Rose Bowl because it's in California you look at 75, 80, 85, 90,000 people at a USC game or a UCLA game or wherever these kids are performing for absolutely free. They're putting their bodies on the line week after week after week and seeing none of the profits that, you know, when Alabama can install a 10 million pound gym solely for the football team, yet Tua Tungavailoa gets paid zero money to do that. You know that, so, you know, Nick Saban is the highest paid state employee in America. You know that something is slightly amiss when it comes to, you know, payment of, uh, of athletes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's good news. I mean, the NCAA were never going to do this. I mean, the stipend that you've just talked about, they, they, they fought against that for a long period of time, which was ridiculous in itself. I mean, 
I think it's great news, and and you know it's California, but unless they're going to kick them out of the NCAA, which they did threaten, but will never happen. There's no way they're kicking UC, USC and and people like that out of the out of the, the conference. It's going to have to be done across the board, and 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 to me, there's a lot of people who worry that you know the bigger schools will win here because boosters will just put all this this money in. Well, in reality. All of these colleges and college towns have money. I mean, I think, if anything, it will even the playing field up a little bit. I mean, if you look at the recruiting rankings for the last five years, the same teams are up there. So we already have a a top-heavy system in which the best players go to the best schools. Now, the reasons to do that are probably the things that are are going to happen legally now, happen illegally. I mean, we all know that it still happens, that... You know, there's there's stories now of kids playing online poker and a guy texting them and saying, right, go in on this hand because you'll win money. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff that happens under the table in college football and to suggest there isn't is is burying your head in the sand. Yeah. So for me, it just, I mean, Boise State or any example like that, you know, a small town college team. Well, if you're the 290th ranked player, for example, that year, and Alabama have already signed five guys ranked in the top 300, then you are essentially going to be a small fish in a big pond. Well, you've got the other opportunity to go to Madison, Wisconsin, or Boise State, and you've got the opportunity to be the star in a big pond. What, you know, there's, a, there's every chance you're going to think, think twice about that, isn't there? You might decide, well, I can go make more money there because I'm the star. All the endorsement deals are going to come to me. So, yeah, I, I think, if anything, it could it could really open up recruiting. And, and it adds a little bit more intrigue. Crucially, it's great for the players. So, as you say, you know, we always feel sorry for the guy who in year four, when he's about to be, you know, not necessarily a first-round pick because he'll still probably get drafted, but a third-round pick in the NFL and, and make... 10 15 million dollars in a career blows out his his acl or does something like that and then never ever gets to profit from that so yeah i mean i i don't think there's any person who is who is saying that that would look at this as anything other than than an exciting development do you think on the flip side that for example it's going to skew recruiting in terms of players thinking why why would i go to why would i go to Townsend State why would I go to Kansas why would I go to Boise why would I go wherever when I can get it for, for free when I can get paid you know to go to USC and uh, and that's notable not necessarily for the smaller kids but it's more notable for you know kids at the top end let's say that Alabama Clemson Ohio State Oklahoma Florida State Florida Auburn LSU and USC are competing for the number one rated cornerback in America now, let's say the number one rated quarterback in America comes from a, you know, a, 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 a financially deprived background. That puts USC at a significantly better position when they know that they can, you know, this kid is going to be able to make some money over going to Alabama or to yeah, Wisconsin. I mean, or to I, I, I think that's why the NCAA have to roll it out across the yeah. country. I mean, I, I just, I don't envisage a scenario where this only applies in. In California, California. I mean, do you? I, I just think that would be. I mean, so, yeah, that would that would spot that would ruin college football. But yeah. I think the NF the, the NCAA are a reactive organisation. They always have been, and as a general rule, once the hand gets forced, which is why I think this judgment has passed. You know that the, they'll they'll react and and it'll get spread out. I mean, it would be a problem if it was just in one state. Absolutely. I mean, you might as well 
you know, turn the turn the pack twelve into the national championship game every year. Um, but I just don't think that'll happen. Ultimately, four years to sort it out. Really, have they? Before yeah, 2023. exactly. Let's look ahead. The only the only final point I'd make that would interest me is one. You know, it's going to be interesting to see how the the, the create scenarios around the the apparel deals because if mm. if Oregon, for example, or a Nike school, you're not going to be able to wear Under Armour. I mean, that's just the way it is. Um, yeah. And also. What would interest me is could you not create a system in which all the schools agree that players can do this, all the money goes into one pot and is distributed evenly between the whole team. That could be interesting. But yeah. I, I can't see that happening in kind of capitalist America. You know, it is what it is. Tom Brady makes more money than Stephen Goskowski because he is the quarterback, you know, and I, and I think that's the way the system will play out. Yeah, it could get ugly though, couldn't it? If, you know, let's just take it. Alabama, if Tua Tungavailoa is earning X amount and, you know, the starting quarterback is earning, you know, Y amount, which is Y significantly less than X, especially for younger guys, that could cause some issues, jealousy, especially in a school surrounding rather than where everybody's living at home and, you know, they're with their wives or girlfriends or whatever. Age and maturity can can often factor in and and certainly significant amounts of money at that age, in that environment, when you're not necessarily ready for it. Because the NFL doesn't, you know, for, for all its ills, the NFL does a tremendous job of of coaching and teaching kids that come into the league about how to deal with money, how to, you know, all of those things. So the NCAA is going to have to set up these sorts of checks and balances, isn't it, to make sure that, yeah. you know, these kids don't, you know, end up bankrupt or you know spending money on stuff that they you know cashing checks that they don't have the money for yeah absolutely i mean like i said there's a there's and and there's going to be a lot of side effects that we can't foresee now as well but i I think ultimately if it gets spread out across the board it it should only be a positive and and actually might make college football a little bit more interesting four days like no other a festival like no other for a bookmaker like no other. Betfred. Get up to £40 in free bets when you sign up using promo code CHELP40 and stake £10 on any Cheltenham race. Betfred. At the heart of Cheltenham. 18 plus. New UK customers only. Available from March 6th to March 13th. £30 free bets credited within 10 hours of first bet settlement. Extra £10 free bets credited if first bet loses. Full terms at betfred.com slash promotions. Keep it fun. BeGambleAware.org. You are listening to the College Football Show on uh, with Gridiron. Uh, I am Simon Clancy, along with Matthew Sherry, the editor of the magazine. Don't forget you can subscribe to the magazine, either in long-form format. My new copy should be dropping through the door any second now, but you can also get it uh, online, uh, Matt, at, at Gridiron. Uh, Gridiron-magazine.com. There you go. Uh, we are closing in on issue 50. Um, I submitted a piece uh, to you a couple of nights ago, and uh, which should appear in the next magazine. So all things tickety-boo on the magazine front. Let's look ahead to a very interesting weekend of college football. Uh, Matt, I'll just go through it in, sort of in order that it's in front of me. And I just want to start on a game that perhaps won't register quite so much on the, you know, the, the seismic scale of the national championship. But in terms of the bigger picture, Utah State, LSU is fascinating, isn't it? Because this is going to be the opportunity for people to see Jordan Love, the Utah State quarterback, against the best defense he's ever going to play against, which is before he gets to the NFL, which is LSU. Love, you know, we've he's been on our radar for for eighteen months. He's uh, a guy that we 
here at the magazine believe is going to be a, a first round pick. Tony Pauline, the very well respected uh, analyst uh, who you'll find on social media, um, believes that Love is in the running to be the number one overall pick. I don't see that at all. Um, he's had a slightly up and down year, but kind of entirely everything has been replaced. New head coach, new offensive coordinator, receivers graduated, all five offensive linemen graduated. So, you know, he's flashing the NFL plays, but he's also, you know, there's been some drops in there. There's been some interceptions. There's been some, you know, some ups and downs, but he's a clear talent, ridiculous arm talent, incredibly strong. Um, but this will be a fascinating game to go up against a Christian Fulton and, uh, and that LSU defense. Yeah, I mean, I, I think generally this game, if you're interested in the draft, you know, two quarterbacks who could easily be going in the first round in February, and that in itself is yeah. is is interesting. I like the spot for love because you know LSU have a lot of talent on defense, but I would say it's it's not like an LSU defense that we've seen in the past that is just completely and utterly suffocating. I think there is opportunities to make some plays through the air in this game. And and yeah, it's it's a huge game for him, isn't it? This is the one that you picked out in in the magazine as one of the big early season storylines, and 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 I think it's the one that we've we've all been looking forward to. And and people understand that scouts understand that the disparity in talent. So I don't think anybody's expecting him to put up five touchdowns, four hundred yards, and zero interceptions. But you know he can really enhance his stock in this game by just just making a couple of the wow throws against. Against you know as much as I say LSU's defense isn't quite the level of a usual LSU defense, it's still high level, still a lot of NFL players on the field. So yeah, it's a, it's a huge game, and and I mean, I think the one negative for Love is that he's going to be against Joe Burrow, who mm. because of who he's going up against will outshine him on the night almost certainly. I mean that's that's going to happen. So. That's the only negative to it, isn't it, from his perspective. But a game like this, I, I always think it's just a great opportunity to, you know, NFL scouts will watch prospects, but they'll particularly watch them against the highest level of competition. And this is the game. This is the first game scouts will put on in the in the in the off season when they start start scouting. The um the the press box I I figure at Tiger Stadium will be will be rammed full of general managers and and, and personnel people tomorrow. Um, just a word on Joe Burrow, who's a quarterback that you were very keen on last year. You, you take Tua out of the equation, and probably Jalen Hurts out of the equation. But if you take if you if you remove those two, I can't think of another quarterback in America who's made a, as many significant strides, um, in the off season as Burrow has, apart from Tua and, and Hurts. No, not at all. I mean, he's been, he's gone from, you know, a game manager who you think if you can get him to third and eight is going to be in big trouble to, to the, the, the whole offense is now running through him. Um, I think he's squarely in the Heisman mix as well. Um, you know, 17 touchdowns, two interceptions, 1500 yards already. I mean, he's completing what must be close to 80% of his passes. I mean, he couldn't have done any more than he's done done so far. I think the exciting part for Burrow as well is he is going to get the opportunity later in the season to go against some proper elite competition. And if he does that, then you're potentially looking at, you know, a top 10 NFL draft pick, which nobody, I mean, there was nobody saying that before this season. I think people thought he might be a, a mid to late round guy who... You know, he was a five-star kid who who eventually landed at LSU and did okay. That's how how the what the book on him was going to be. But yeah, if he if he has a big end, of, particularly kind of November, then he has a chance to be a a really top tier pick. Remarkable to think that we could be looking at seven first round picks. Yeah, I mean that's that's six that's six in in eighty three is 
is massively under pressure this year if if some of these guys come out. Because um, I think Hertz is the kind of guy who could sneak into the end of the first round. So he's yeah. the he's kind of the the equivalent of what um, Lamar Jackson was for the Ravens a couple of years ago, where I could see a team moving back into the round to get that fifty year option on the contract. So yeah, I mean. Yeah, for those of you that don't follow necessarily uh, as in depth as we do, we would we would say the seven would be Tua Tungavailoa of uh, of Alabama, Justin Herbert of of Auburn, um, Oregon, Jordan Love obviously of, uh, of Oregon, sorry, just uh, Jordan Love of uh, of Utah State, Jacob Eason of Washington, who's performed really well actually, Matt hasn't he? And uh, people haven't really seen him because West Coast games late on, you know, for Washington, but he's made some big time throws out there, hasn't he? Yeah, absolutely, and 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 a, another guy who you know played well at Georgia and just and just got beaten out by the, another guy who I assume's on this list, which is which is Jake Fromm. Jake um, Fromm was going to be the next name who's who again has really stepped up and, and performed well. His game against Notre Dame the other day was was, was significant, and then obviously you throw in Burrow of LSU and, and Jalen Hurts of, of Oklahoma, who remarkably feels like he might be on course for Oklahoma's third straight Heisman winner in succession, which would just be an incredible coaching job by Lincoln Riley. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge feather in his cap, isn't it? Like, I mean, that could be future Dallas Cowboys head coach, Lincoln Riley. I'm pretty sure it will be at some point. And the guy that we spoke to in the magazine um, just over a year ago when Baker Mayfield was coming out and who told us that he was, you know, keen to get into the NFL at some point. So watch that space. Uh, Before we get into some more of the sort of in-depth, just very briefly, um, a very exciting matchup tomorrow amongst two of the most exciting wide receivers in college football. It was Penn State take on Purdue with with Hamler against uh, Katie Hamler against Rondell Moore of, of Purdue. These two guys are, you know, if if you're sat around on your ESPN player and not not really sure what to do tomorrow afternoon, watching these two is a, is a lot of fun, isn't it? Because these are two, you know, Tyreek Hill type wide receivers who are seriously talented. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the only concern is that Moua has been injured, so I'm yeah. not sure he's going to play. But rumours yeah. he, he might he he might make it. So yeah, but I, I mean, regardless, watch both of them. I saw the uh, the Penn State kid at the game against Pitt, and my God, he can fly as well. Like fun to watch. Right, Michigan Iowa, number fourteen Iowa against number nineteen Michigan. This is this is a huge game isn't it for for Jim Harbaugh given everything that's that, that's gone before in the last couple of weeks it is indefensible i think if if um if michigan lose to to iowa those are the words of uh, of Joel Clatt fox sports college football color analyst um is he right is this the tipping point for 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 Harbaugh? Because if you know, I, I know Iowa are ranked five places ahead, but Michigan shouldn't be losing to Iowa, should they? Not at home, no. I mean, I think Iowa will beat. The, I think they will beat somebody big this year, but it'll probably be at home. Um, this is the defining game of Jim Harbaugh's tenure for me. Um, I don't really see the way a way back if they lose this. Um, Especially with what they've got coming up as well. I mean, they've still got Ohio State, Michigan State, Penn State on the road to play. Yeah, I mean, this is the game where Michigan need to prove that the Wisconsin game was an aberration. Um, now, it wasn't an aberration because they, they, they were pushed so close by Army the week before at home. Um, I think last week against Rutgers was fool's gold for Michigan. You know, Rutgers are absolutely atrocious. Fired their coach immediately after the game. Um 
I'll worry for them. I really do. I mean, I think Iowa are a really good team. I, Iowa have a lot of NFL draft picks in their, in, in their team and are probably one of the most impressive 4-0 teams as well, um, simply because they've had injury problems and lots of them. But they've kind of come out the other side of that 4-0. They beat Iowa State, which was a good win. I, I think this is a massive trap game for Michigan that, you know, Nate Stanley's played really well this year, hasn't thrown an interception yet. Um it is indefensible. It is a massive game for Jim Harbour, but I wouldn't be surprised if Iowa win because I just have no confidence in Michigan. The only thing I would say is Don Brown will, will I think, shut down Iowa's offense. This is the kind of offense he will do a good job against. Um, the worry for me is Michigan's offense, which, I mean, I think you need to accept at this point that Shea Patterson isn't the guy they thought that we're getting yeah. as a as a as a five star kid when he when he transferred from Ole Miss. I've, I've seen nothing really from him over the two years. You know. They were mitigating circumstances in the early part of last season with the offensive line, but yeah, I mean, it just it just doesn't look right. The offense doesn't look right. I mean, it doesn't look any better than it did when it's different schematically, but it doesn't look any better than it did when Pep Hamilton was running it, and that was infuriating to watch. Flip it's side is, if they, if they go on and win this game and the, and the offense looks good, then I can potentially get excited about the team again because they are loaded. They are really, really talented. I mean. Outside of Ohio State, I think still probably the most talented team in the Big Ten and, and not a million miles away from Ohio State either. So, At what point does Harbaugh turn to Dylan McCaffrey to potentially save his save his job? Um, I mean, I'm not sure. I need to check actually whether McCaffrey's healthy because he's had a concussion. Uh, but I think that was a couple of weeks ago, so he's probably going to be back. Um I, I mean, if he's if he's healthy, I think that the lease should be short for Patterson. But he hasn't shown any any implicate any um, indication that it, that he that he's going to bench Patterson properly at any stage. I mean, they've got Joe Milton as well. It, a kid who was a four star recruit last year is a true sophomore who who I think they like. I mean, I heard rumblings from people around there that they thought he was a potential first round pick down the line, but they clearly don't think he's ready yet either. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, McCaffrey's still got a concussion by the looks of it, so yeah, he's not going to play. Yeah. I, I think that they should mix Joe Milton in, though. You know, he's a guy who'll make more plays with his legs, and it, you'd like to see them mix him in a little bit more. But, I mean, they've got problems on offense. Their running game is non-existent. They're relying on a very talented true freshman in Jack, Zach Charbonnet to, to basically be their only running back. So... So, yeah, worry. And then the, the infuriating part about Michigan is how talented their wide receiver corps is that just is not being taken advantage of. I mean, they're four or five deep with with really talented guys who who I think, if they were in Alabama, would end up being potential first-round picks. I mean... Yeah, Tariq Black and Donovan Peoples-Jones, they've really not come to the fore, and you do have to wonder whether or not that's partly down to Pep Hamilton, partly down to Shea Patterson, and partly down to injuries. But like you say, I think if they were playing in an offense that that played to their, you know, was able to get them the ball, you, you'd be looking at significantly higher rated receivers. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, there, there are a lot of problems, lots of problems. But it's, it's a massive game because if they win this and win it well, It'll be a bit of a statement that actually, you know, they can right the ship. I mean, we've seen teams have really bad early seasons and early season losses before and, and come back. I mean, I remember Penn State doing it a couple of years ago and going on to win the Big Ten. So it can happen, but I've, I've not got much confidence that it will. 
this game could be one in the trenches. And if you if you are watching this game, there's some some players to look out for if you have an NFL bent about you and you want to kind of keep an eye on the draft because Iowa have arguably the two best tackles um, in college football in, in Tristan Wirfs, who is a, an absolute monster and should be a top 10 pick, and Alaric Jackson uh, on the other side. And in fact, Wirfs has moved to left tackle. And defensively, AJ Epineza, the, the big defensive end who could play in a 4-3 or a, or a 3-4 potentially again another top 10 top 12 pick um th- there's some talent there isn't there like you say nate stanley a senior veteran you could you could see an upset here yeah without a doubt i mean i i would be if i was picking the game i would be i would be fairly close to leaning towards iowa one of three matchups between top 25 teams this weekend that one kicks off at the big house that's an early kickoff um for those of you that are watching big game in the sec uh, two unbeatens, number 10 Florida hosting number 7 Auburn both teams 5 and 0 this is a um this is a this has gone under the radar hasn't it as a as a big game this weekend you got you know Onyx against Kyle Trask who's replacing Felipe Franks but it's it's going to be a it's going to be a real storm or is it a real tough hard nose football just just an indicator of of, of what at what point has Dan Mullen been able to raise this this gate of this Gator organization in a year and a half. And then similarly on the flip side is Gus Malzahn back, our Auburn back behind Derek Brown and that strong defense and, and the freshman quarterback Bo Nix, who's played really well, a real statement game for both teams in terms of yeah. where their direction is heading. Yeah, it's yeah. huge. I mean, I still look at the SEC as being Alabama, Georgia. And then the question is, which of these other teams are going to emerge into that category. Now, we saw Auburn do it a couple of years ago, and they look like doing it again to me. I, I think Auburn are the better team, and I think Auburn will win the game, but there's some fascinating elements to this. I mean, Florida have played really well and have got two big defensive guys returning in Jabiri Zaniga and CJ Henderson, the, the oh. pass rusher and cornerback. So that that's obviously really important. But then the, the big thing with Auburn is, with, with Malzahn back calling the offence, their running game, particularly the last couple of weeks, looks like it did, you know, the year they went to the national championship against Florida State. When Malzahn at that point was considered, you know, the the best schemer in terms of offensive running games in college football. And, you know, we're seeing Jatravius Whitlow just, just, I think he had like 300 yards or something mm. last week. It's just insane. And, and Bo Nix is, what they're doing with Bo Nix, I love because it's, it's exactly what the way you want to manage a true freshman quarterback. You know, you give him a running game and you let him just make key plays when he needs to, as we saw in that opening game against Oregon, a win that I think gets better with each passing week. So, so yeah, I'm fascinated by this. And then on the other side, you know, the, the Kyle Trask situation, again, uh, another indication of just how good Dan Mullen is at coaching these quarterbacks. Because, I, I mean, I've never been a Felipe Franks fan, but he, he got more out of him than I ever anticipated. Yeah. And, and and now we're seeing him do some nice work with Kyle Trask as well. I, these games generally are close. I mean, I, I don't think it'll be a high-scoring game because both defences are, are too good. I mean, Auburn's defensive line every year looks mm. like it, an NFL one to me. So... Yeah, I think it'll be I think it'll be a low scoring game, but I, but I do think that Auburn can control the clock with the running game and 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 get the win. This game used to be staged annually between 1945 and I think 2002, but obviously because of the realignment of the of the SEC, they actually haven't played against each other since 2011, which is 
which is pretty criminal, really. Yeah, that's, that's insane. The, the strength of the rivalry. I'm with you. I think Auburn will, um, and actually I think it will be, won't be as close as we think. I think Auburn are a significant team who will um, maybe not win it all and maybe not even make the playoff, but I think they're going to, you know, they're going to be a real buzzer beater in terms of upsetting some teams down the down the stretch that have hopes of. Uh, I can see them taking a taking a chunk out of Alabama again this year. Me like too. The, the same to beat Bama once every other year, and I could see this year being the, the same again. Me too. And the final game that that pits two top twenty five teams is number four Ohio State hosting number twenty five Michigan State. We were at this game last year, Matt, which was in uh, East Lansing and a very cold, snowy day in East Lansing, um, where we went to see Dwayne Haskins and Ohio State. You know, really soiled the bed and and just managed to. It was a punt fest, really. And actually, the game was won by field position. Ohio State's punter had about. 20 what felt like about 25 punts in the game um and uh, one on field position really he was able to pin michigan state deep in his territory over deep in their own territory over and over and over again without brian lewerke obviously um he was he, he was injured and battling the um battling the the injury rocky lombardi started uh, and played most of the game and and um it, it wasn't a fun game to watch, was it? But this is a fun Ohio State team. And whilst they probably won't have played a defense as tough and as disciplined as um, as the Spartans is offensively, Michigan State doesn't look like it's going to have close to the weaponry it's going to need to to, to get past this uh, Buckeye defense. No, I mean, Brian Lewerke's had a bit of a bounce back year, hasn't he, this year? Yeah, like, totally. You know, he, we, we thought he had, he had potential draft potential and then... Even before the injury was was really poor last year, but he's, he's he's played nicely. But I just I just can't see Michigan. I think Michigan State's defense will cause Ohio State more problems than any defense has so far this year. But I mean that's all relative because Ohio State have blown doors against everybody that they've faced. Um, I'm fascinated to watch Justin Fields against that defense. I mean I agree with you. I think Ohio State win the game and potentially quite comfortably but I do think seeing fields against a real defense is going to be interesting um he's been spectacular so far I mean 16 touchdowns no interceptions and that's just through the air you know he's doing a lot on the ground as well you know JK Dobbins has been has been superb as well at running back so I, I expect this to be an Ohio State win but that that's the matchup I'm interested to see and then for, for anybody interested in the draft I, I'm not convinced I've ever seen a better Pass rusher in college football than Chase Young. I mean, well, you say that I'm not. I haven't seen a better cornerback than Jeffrey Akuda in a very, very long time. I think he's a significant NFL star in the making. And 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 the other element is Ryan Day is doing an incredible Listen job. That this team is better than this team is better than than it was last year under under Urban Meyer. So. It's just been a perfect start for Ohio State, but it is going to be interesting to see them against, you know, a better standard of competition. Yeah, doesn't seem to be a lot of trap games out there. Maybe uh, I'll tell you one trap game that I see before we before we get out of here. A big performance needed from Justin Herbert against Cal. Cal were, were ranked, and we talked about them in the last in the last pod about how well they'd done. They have a very 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 good secondary um, backup quarterback, obviously starting for them, but. They're going to need to. Justin Herbert's going to need to really perform at a high level if if Oregon are going to have to sneak this one out, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And 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 it's just another game against, as you say, a good secondary that's big for Herbert in terms of his his NFL 
because I, I don't think Herbert's had an amazing start of the season. I was very unimpressed with him in, in, in the big game in week one. So he needs to start, especially with, as we've mentioned, how loaded that first round is with potential quarterbacks. He he was seen as a guy who was in that elite category. I, I would put maybe four guys ahead of him at the moment and, and it's a, an opportunity for him to, to claw back some of that ground. I mean, I, I, I'm having a very hard time not putting Jake from ahead of him. I mean, we we had that discussion in midweek, didn't we? Just randomly, yeah. I I love from. I think he, that I generally look for the guys who I think are just game as a quarterback, and from's got that about him, you know. And 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 I think, you know, Justin Fields' performance and Jacob Eason's performances have massive feathers in from's cap. I mean, he's beaten both of those guys out. Eason is a true freshman as well. I mean, yeah. you know, that, that that tells you a lot, especially when, you know, we respect that Georgia coaching staff. It's not like when NC State binned off Russell Wilson for Mike Glennon, you know what I mean? We, yeah. we respect the staff and, and, and that to me is something that evaluators should look at. I think what, what I find interesting about that is that From has had the, the label of, of game manager, which I think is actually when he watches game and he drill down into his game, it, it is very unfair. He's significantly more than a, than a game manager. He's got a very strong arm. He's mobile. He's a great leader. He can make all the throws. And I think ultimately his arm talent is is significantly underrated. Yeah, and go and watch the games against Bama. The national championship game is a true yeah. freshman. And, and it's not like he was great as a true freshman and that is somehow regress badly. He's got better and better every single year. And, and I think the other element about them getting rid of Eason and Fields for him that tells you how good a guy he is in the room as well. Because, you know, to be able to beat out two guys like that, it takes more than just on field. Clearly, the coaches love him and the teammates love him. I, I mean, I, I would put from potentially number number two behind two. I, I think he's absolutely in that category. And if, But I can see a scenario where NFL teams do what they always do and, and massively underrate some of the traits that we're talking up and, 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 and kind of hit him for that. Just before we get out of here, final word on um, one of the best stories in college football. I actually think we'll probably get to it in the magazine at some stage. Um, I grew up in an era, I'm 45 years old. I know I don't sound it, listeners, but I'm 45 years old. Grew up at a time where SMU, uh, Southern Methodist, were battling out for national championships. The Pony Express under with running back Craig James. Uh, they were a fascinating team. They obviously they encountered the NCAA death penalty, ultimately, which was... Oh, God, 20, 25 years ago now? I mean, even th- this was ultimately for repeated sort of recruiting violations, the boosters paying, but they got caught, essentially, and everybody else gets got away with it. SMU got caught. They were banned from, from competing in 86, 87. That could be SMU phoning up now. They got banned. They got banned from competing, I think, in the ooh, 87 season. And I think the school then cancelled the year later, 88, or it might have been 88 or 89. Uh, and it, what ensued really was a 15-year rebuild, wasn't it? But now they're, they're back in the top 25 for the first time. They're ranked number 24. They're 5-0. and um, They're unbeaten in conference play. Sonny Dykes, the, their head coach, is doing a great job. They've, they've got a... They've got a running back in Xavier Jones who's tied for the national lead with, with Jonathan Taylor with 11 touchdowns. The rebirth of SMU football is a great story. There's a, there's a wonderful 30 for 30, I think, called Pony Express, if you watch yeah, it, is. Player, um, about what happened with with SMU. Um, but it feels like they are 
they're back and for the very first time as i said since those sanctions back in 87 they're back in the top 25 yeah absolutely watch them shane, this week shane, shane Bukele, obviously the, the quarterback who transferred from was, texas from texas behind sam ellinger is their um and and I'm pretty sure he is like a Dallas legend as well. He is. Like a high school. We did a story on him as a true freshman. So, yeah, that it is a really, really nice story. Yeah, he's 10th he's in the nation in passing yards already. So, congratulations to, uh, to, to Sonny Dykes and the SMU Mustangs. We shall be back next week reviewing all these games, looking ahead to what's coming up uh, in a week's time. Some interesting games as well as we get towards the meteor part of the college football season. Any more for any more, Matt? No, perfect. Looking forward to this one. This is probably the best slate outside of week two so far. What game are you going to watch? What game will you not miss this weekend? The, the three. I'm, I'm in them three all the time. I'll perfectly done. Um, yeah. So I will be watching the big three that we've previewed back to back to back. Excellent. Enjoy and we shall be with you next week. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today.